The Big Red Bench. Saturday and Sunday from 6 p.m. Cork's Red FM. Welcome to the Big Red Bench Women in Sport Podcast. I'm your host, Jerry McCarthy, and you can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at McCarthy 74 On this week's show, a resident AFLW expert and coach to the stars, Mike Curran, joins me live from Melbourne, Australia, to review the concluding rounds of the NAB AFLW season and preview this weekend's grand final between Brisbane and Melbourne. Red FM Formula 1 expert Sarah McKenzie Foley is on the big red bench to review the final Grand Prix of the season at Abu Dhabi and talk about all the on and off track headlines emanating from the Middle East. Munster Women's Rugby Chairperson Wendy Keenan joins me to review another hectic week of women's rugby throughout the province at schools, youths and the adult grades. And finally, Munster Hockey PRO Graham Catchpole is on the bench to talk about all the latest happenings on the Munster Women's Hockey scene and look ahead to a huge fixture list of games coming up over the Christmas and New Year periods. That's all to come on this week's Big Red Bench Women in Sport podcast. A resident AFLW expert, uh, Mike Curran, joined me live on the line from Melbourne, Australia, where he is building up towards this year's NAB AFLW grand final between Brisbane and Melbourne. Mike tells us about his journey around Australia over the last couple of weeks and meeting a lot of Irish players and previews the big game and gives his analysis on who's going to come out on top. Now here on the Big Red Bench, our weekly um, AFLW slot with the AFLW coach to the stars and analyst and expert Mike Curran, but with a difference because on the other end of the line, at the other side of the world, I'm joined by Mike for this week's uh, podcast. Mike, first of all, can you hear me? And secondly, where are you? <laughs> I can, Jer. I'm going to start with a good old good day, mate. Today, I am I'm in Melbourne at the minute. Thanks a mil for calling in. It's a it's a pleasure to talk to you from so far away, and hopefully the the line holds out. But yeah, Melbourne at the minute after a whirlwind three or four days where I've been at the airport every morning since arriving in Melbourne. Then I was up to Gold Coast, back to Melbourne, and here now for a week, and then off to Brisbane for a, a magnificent grand final in prospect next weekend. Yes, your Instagram and social media account are like a, a travel log and basically a travel, like the BBC travel show, basically, because every time I, I see a new post, you're in a different part of Australia, a different part of the world, but you're over there and you're over there because you took in the two preliminary finals. You've met with a host of Irish players and a lot of other people as well. What has the trip been like apart from, as you said, it's been a whirlwind and full on, but um, a very enjoyable one so far, I hope. Oh, totally enjoyable, Jerry. You know, it's, it's amazing, I suppose. I've been over here uh, once a year up to... 2019 or 20 and I haven't been here in three years with COVID and obviously been working through Zoom and from a distance and still getting the Irish players over here and stuff but it's absolutely fantastic to be back here on the ground attending footy games going to ovals going to training sessions with the clubs which has been fantastic as well um, getting into dressing rooms with the clubs it's it's been a whirlwind and it's just brilliant to see the Irish players on the ground here like we know this at home anyway mm. but they are superstars they are like they are loved over here you should see it footy is a religion AFLW is a religion every time these girls run out to a training session not to mind to a, a game or a final there's 50 or 100 fans at the stadium asking them for autographs asking them for pictures and the Irish players are the best. They're such wonderful ambassadors. I'm so proud to actually see them in action here. They stand, they talk to everybody, they give everybody time. They spend time with the players, with the fans, with the young girls and boys that are at the games, having a kick with them. So they are thoroughly amazing off the field, as we know they are on the field. So, yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm only here a few days. I've squeezed a lot in. have another week uh, in between now and the grand final to look forward to where... I have a raft of meetings with AFLW clubs looking ahead to next year 
we don't we won't talk about that for another while because there's a big game coming up. But yeah, it's it's absolutely brilliant to be here and delighted to be back in Australia after a few years away. Yes, and in your line of work, Mike, I mean, you, as you said, you're usually over there once a year um, pre-COVID and the fact that you're there now on the ground meeting the clubs, meeting the players and seeing the players in, that, in, in, in the flesh and in the environment um, in which we've been talking about all season and what a season it's been up to this point. Um, from your own point of view as well, it's lovely to hear you speak so um, positively about the Irish players and the effect that they're having over there. How I mean, we, we've spoken a lot about the new players that have come over, the likes of Eric O'Shea and Vicky Wall what a change it is in their life to move to a different country, to become a professional athlete and then to play a game, a game that is religion. This is something, even just the adulation of the supporters and the attention in the media, certainly around preliminary finals, semi-finals, preliminary finals and now grand final, this is something they will not necessarily have been exposed to and used to. They might at certain inter-county football level, but not this intensity and not this kind of media attention either. How how have they handled that? Even the players that are no longer in the championship now and that won't be playing in the grand final, how have they been able to uh, uh, cope with that and have they spoken to you about that? Yeah, look, they have, and I suppose the easiest way to describe it is they're just naturals. Like, I suppose that all of the players, all the girls, they're such great characters and personalities anyway that this comes natural to them. And it is definitely something they have to get used to. You have to see it, as I say, they're at a training session, which can run for three hours. You've got 100, 200 people in the stand every time the girls run off the oval or off the track to get a drink, to go to the dressing room. They're asked for autographs. They stop, they're patient. And the Irish girls are adored. Like, obviously, all the Australian players are as well, but... The people down here have fallen in love with the Irish players and it's easy to see why. But like I'll give you an example. We haven't even talked about the games yet. But yesterday at the preliminary final at Icon Park, Melbourne um, and North Melbourne, Blaheen Mackin, I caught up with her after the game. She stood outside the dressing room for an hour after the match talking to people, talking to fans, talking to young girls. I literally had to tell her in her gear, I said, get in and get changed before she catches the cold ahead of next week. But that'll tell you, not a bother. Um, and it's fantastic to see it. And and the fans over here love them and they've adopted them and the Aussie players love them and the clubs love them. So look at the Irish girls are representing us fantastically well. They're great ambassadors for Ireland. They're doing us proud in every aspect on and off the field. And the Aussies have taken them in as their own and they're absolutely stars over here and they're adored in every club um, and all the players, not just the players that have made the finals. It's, it's fantastic to see it and no more than they deserve. Absolutely. No more than they deserve, as you said. And uh, it's fantastic to hear such positivity surrounding the players that are uh, representing Ireland, but also making their mark and making their mark at the latter stages of what has been an amazing season, season 7.0 of AFLW. As we said, since the start of the season here on the Big Red Bench, we followed it pre-season and every week. We reached the preliminary finals, which you were over there for last Friday and Saturday. And on Friday at uh, Metricon Stadium, you were there to see the Brisbane Lions end the Adelaide Crows premiership reign and do it in emphatic fashion, Mike, winning 46-23 They did Jerry look at this was a classic game up in the Gold Coast Metricon Stadium a brilliant stadium great place for a final the Gold Coast absolutely amazing it was my first time heading up there you might think Clannock Kilty is fantastic and it is but, but check out the Gold Coast sometime there's literally 100 miles of beach up there but on to the game the, the, absolutely brilliant you know um, Brisbane Lions as you say against Adelaide Crows what a game it was there was only one goal in it in the first quarter the second quarter then we saw a burst from Brisbane Lions as, was, as we've done so often before. They got four goals on the board. Two of those goals came within one minute of half time, and I think that's where the damage was done. Adelaide actually came out 
and won the third and fourth quarters on the scoreboard, but it was a little too late. They were fighting back the whole time. And like the main difference on the night there really was the Brisbane line, star full forward line. Courtney Hodder, two goals, electric. Jesse Wardlaw, two goals, who has now incidentally scored the most goals ever in an AFLW season. And Dakota Davison, two goals. So that was it. All-star forwards came to the fore and got Brisbane over the line. Um, Adelaide Crows, deserving champions and they went out in style and I suppose you'd have to feel for them a little bit they had a tragic loss during the week of one of their premiership players from 2018 Heather Heather Anderson tragically passed away there was a minute silence before the game the Crows players started the first quarter with tears rolling down their cheeks it was tough to watch so I don't even know how they played through that level of emotion And but they did and they battled on um, and look, from an Irish point of view, then uh, on the line side, as always, Orla Dwyer, whether it's a final or a normal game, she is absolutely brilliant. Her mum and dad, Mary and Brian, were over watching the game. Orla had a behind 14 disposals, three marks, a tackle, a clearance, as we'd expect, um, all through the game. Absolutely brilliant. And then on the Adelaide side, we had Neve Kelly playing. I actually travelled to the game and watched the game with Neve's mom, Brida, and her sister, Grace Kelly, of course, who's at St Kilda, and um, their partners. And it was fantastic to be there with the Kellys. Neve was brilliant. She, from start to finish, like she did not give up. Um, she had 11 disposals for the game. To be fair, her shoulder was held together with tape for the match, mm. and it didn't stop her. She battled through it. So that was her last game for the season. She's actually out now and, and straight off to surgery this week to get that shoulder fixed. But again... I was absolutely grateful and delighted to get down to the Adelaide Crows dressing room after the game. I caught up with Neve and all the players. I saw how disappointed they were down there, but at the same time, they were very proud of the group. They, they have had two premierships in the one year. Defending champions, champions went out with a battle, and I have no doubt that they will be back without question. But on the night, um, it was the lines for prevailed. Also, it felt a little bit for Ailish Constein, obviously not back in time to be selected, but also... Um, the players that weren't selected weren't able to travel to the game. And sometimes they are, sometimes they weren't, but there was issues with trying to get flights. So I was hoping to catch up with Ailish in the Gold Coast. Didn't get to this time, but again, hopefully we might catch up in Melbourne across the week. But yeah, it's brilliant. Orla Dwyer is on to the grand final, but brilliant performances from both Orla and Neve Kelly representing Ireland again, as always. Yes, indeed. And they are names and players that we have name-checked throughout the season. And I think the word that keeps coming to my mind is consistency. I mean, the fact that Neve has battled those injuries, disappointing for Elish Constantine, as you said, that she wasn't able to play. But even so, I hope she'll be able to reflect on what has been a very productive season for her. But for Orla Dwyer, and we'll talk about her when it comes to the grand final, Like it's just that, that name, that player, that person, we just take her for granted, I think, at this stage. Her level of consistency and how she's made an impact, not just in Brisbane, but in the AFLW in, in general, uh, Mike. It's pretty pretty obvious before we move on to the final game here um, very quickly just Orlo Dwyer I mean heading to another grand final for her uh, a just reward for the season and the effort that she's put in Absolutely of course yeah no, no one more deserving she has a premiership medal already she's going to want another one she's not going to settle on that she has an All-Australian from last year deservedly so one of the best players in the competition and again has battled through this year despite having some issues along the way which she had also some loss in her family back home in Tipperary during the season but braved through it all it was brilliant to see Brian and Mary over there Mary was actually interviewed on the big screen at the stadium and featured on, on telly I'm sure not a bother to her so they're getting used to the success as well and I'm, I'm going to catch up with the Edwards in Brisbane on Sunday and I cannot wait to see Orla run out in a grand final in Brisbane at a brand new stadium we'll talk about that in a second as well there's all sorts of drama around that but um, that's where they want to be that's where she is and she has a chance 
to become the second player to win a double premiership after Eilish Constein. Will she do it? We can't wait to find out. Indeed, we can't. And that's because uh, on the same pitch on that day of the grand final, uh, the Brisbane Lions would be facing the Melbourne Demons who came through a really, really tough and dogged battle against North Melbourne, the Kangaroos, winning 33-16 on the scoreboard at Icon Park, Mike. But that does not tell the story of what was a very, very tough game. And only in the final quarter, maybe the third and final quarter, I felt anyway, Melbourne finally pulled away. But um, we have, you know, I think the grand final people expected. But North Melbourne to me are the story of the year and not just because of Eric O'Shea and Vicky Wall but to reach a preliminary final and to push Melbourne the way they did um, just coming up short shows that there was a bright future ahead for this franchise Oh absolutely look at I think North Melbourne are, are going, can be only very proud of the season they've had and look at in the build up to the game I was out of training at Arden Street Thursday night which was their last training session before the grand final the mood was brilliant the players were buzzing they have nothing to lose. They're in. They were. They had a shot at Melbourne Demons, who were overwhelming favourites. They had a shot to nothing, and they were going to go out and give it everything. And you could see that from the mood around the camp. Uh, I was even more fortunate to get down to the dressing rooms in North Melbourne before the game. So I was in the dressing rooms before they ran out onto Icon Park. And again, the mood was electric. They were totally up for it, and they were going out to give it a shot. And that is exactly what they did. You know, there was 17 points in it in the end. There was no way that was a reflection of the game. And incidentally, that was their biggest loss of the season, but Mm. you wouldn't think think it to watch the game. So they came out firing. In the first quarter, there was only one goal in at a quarter time if you were to go through the game. There was less than a goal at halftime, only five points. There was only three points in at a quarter time. But this is where the game was won by Melbourne, or you could argue lost by North Melbourne. In that third quarter, North Melbourne dominated. They had 18 inside 50s, but only returned two behinds. And I was behind the goals for that quarter. And all they needed was one of those inside 50s to land and it would have been a different story so in fairness a lot of credit has to be given to the defence of Melbourne there but that's how close they came but once it came to the fourth quarter then Melbourne got a couple of goals and got over the line the match winner was scored by their captain Daisy Pierce. what a story uh, it is for her and no one would begrudge her uh, a place in the grand final or a premiership medal but yeah they battled right to the end. They had nothing to lose. They almost had it. In terms of the Irish players on the night, then we had three Irish players in a preliminary final. Fantastic to see it. For North Melbourne, we had Blackie Mackin, who has had a storm of a season for her first year. Like It's absolutely brilliant. She had 10 disposals on the night, four marks, um, was playing between the half-back and the full-back line for most of the game. Didn't put a foot wrong, apart from maybe one time she got caught holding the ball which turned out to be one of the highlight reels of the game because if you're going to catch blind you have to do it in style and that it was but she was fantastic Sinead Goldrick then you know 11 disposals 3 marks a clearance Goldie absolutely brilliant and she was marking Vicky Wall what a battle for the whole match old enemies old rivals in new surroundings and that was a battle Vicky did well she had 7 disposals on the night 4 tackles 2 clearances was never far away from the action I think Goldie got the better of that one. The little bit of experience there, and and obviously that was a, a big advantage to Melbourne to to try and quell Vicky Wall. But how good was it to see three Irish players all performing brilliantly? Blaine and Goldie are true to the grand final. I caught up with them after the game. Absolutely delighted. And of course, I also got up with Eric Cochet before the game. Didn't play in this one. Missed out on three weeks of finals. Got the all clear on her eye just a day ago. Thankfully, fully all clear. So she would have been good to go had Melbourne got over the line or North got over the line to the grand final. But not to be. She's in great spirits, great form and undoubtedly has a big career ahead of her in AFLW for as long as she wants to stay out of here. But yeah, Melbourne Demons, the favourites are true to the grand final. North Melbourne, 
nothing to be ashamed of. Absolutely brilliant performance and brilliant season. And I'm excited for to see where they go over the next couple of seasons because they are building in a big way. They certainly are. And uh, we wish, as we said, we wish Erica O'Shea all the best as well. It's great to hear that she's gotten the fully all, full all-care. I know John, her brother, was out there, been following him on Instagram as well and seeing all his, um, you know, tourist photos. And it's great for the O'Shea family because it's been a long season and, and you know, an unbelievable debut season for her um, going over to Australia. And the best is yet to come. I, I would agree with you on that. And also a word for Vicky Wall. What a player and what a performer. It's, again, just mo- much like um, Brisbane's uh, Orlo Dwyer, the consistency out of Vicky in her first season playing. Uh, footy over in Australia like has been outstanding and I know it'll be disappointing for North Melbourne not to have reached the grand final but I think they when, when they do get a chance to reflect on what the season has has, has delivered they, they should be very very proud and they are going to be a side to watch next year but we're down after all those weeks of talking after all the analysis after all the reviews and when you're over in Australia Mike we're down to the grand final and what a grand final is in prospect Brisbane Lions and the Melbourne Demons on Sunday the 27th of November 3.40am here in Ireland Ireland, our time for anyone that is listening wants to uh, wants to check in. Very, I suppose, a straightforward question for you, Mike. How do you think this is going to go? But just a bit of backdrop to the grand final and where it's taking place and why there might be a bit of controversy about that. But your view on who might edge this one? Well, Lucas, could you script it? Undoubtedly, the two best teams in the competition have made it to the grand final. They were separated by 03 of a percent on score for the main season 0.3 of a percent wow. and one behind imagine if one, if Melbourne had scored one more behind they'd have been the minor premiers so that's how close it was I'd have loved if Melbourne had got that behind because it would have saved me thousands of air miles <laughs> but anyway it's the it's the final as everyone has expected they both had to battle to get there but it is Brisbane and Melbourne in the grand final the two best teams in the competition by far it is on in Brisbane because the top finishing team has the hosting rights for the grand final. There was a little bit of controversy because even up to a day ago, nobody knew where the game was going to be on. Then before the preliminary final started, they gave three options uh, in three cities, depending on what team finished top. Uh, uh, but none of the grounds or stadiums. So this is the big thing here at the minute. Because of the change of time of the season, um, all of the grounds and big stadiums have been booked out for cricket and for concerts and for various events purely because all these bookings are done long in advance and with the, with the sudden change in dates of the season there wasn't time to start it but anyway Brisbane have earned the rights to host it they are going to host the grand final at the Brighton Homes Arena in Springfield uh, cue all the Simpsons names now as well but this is a brand new facility so here's where there's a further bit of controversy there has never been a match played there not to mind the grand final there has never been a training session on the grass. So it's the first time the surface will ever have been used. So obviously it has got the all clear from the AFL. Otherwise the game wouldn't be there. But there are some questions and curiosity from fans from both the Lions and across all the other teams. Is how is this ground going to hold up? But look, at that's where it's on. Brisbane will have a home crowd. Again, the stadium, I think, is limited to about a 9,000 capacity. So it is going to be jam-packed. The average attendance at the grand finals it has been 27,000 across the last four or five years. So there's going to be a lot of disappointed fans. I'm getting up to Brisbane, and thanks to the AFLW clubs and the AFL, I'm going to be at the game, and I'm delighted at that. But the atmosphere is going to be electric. Melbourne fans are travelling up in their hordes. They're looking for that premiership, and they've got um, absolutely ardent fans. So they're travelling up as well. But look at what a contest it ha- we have in store. And look, from our point of view, from an Irish point of view, 
there is definitely a medal coming back and possibly two medals. So for, for Irish people tuning in and watching in, it's a win-win situation. We're either going to have Orla O'Dwyer win her second AFLW Premiership, which will be a huge achievement, or we're going to have Sinead Goldrick and Blaine Mackin win their first Premiership, which will equally be a huge achievement. And particularly in relation to Blaine and for myself, that would be a massive one after bringing her over there this year. But regardless, it's going to be a great game. You can call it. You think Brisbane are a slight favourite, but Melbourne desperately wants this premiership. They've missed out in the grand final last year to Adelaide. Not very much in it. They've worked solidly for the six months since. Everything has been focused on getting back to the grand final. They've done that. And I cannot wait to see what unveils next Sunday up in Brisbane. It is definitely going to be a cracker. Indeed it is. I don't think you could have previewed it any better than that. It is going to be the uh, climax to what has been a fantastic AFLW 7.0 season. Throughout the season here on the Big Red Bench, we've had AFLW expert and coach and the man that knows every single one of those Irish players that are playing over there and has a hand in getting there. And that's Mike Curran. We will review it if not next week, the week after week, um, what should be a fascinating game. I'm going to try and get up. I won't promise now. I know you'll be there, but I'm going to try and get up and watch it. Um, I don't make promises I can't keep. So Brisbane Lions in Melbourne, though, is one that I'm willing to get up for because I, I can see that it's going to be a cracking grand final and the culmination of what has been a terrific season as we said let's hope uh, the headlines have nothing to do with where the game takes place and the pitch and all that I don't think it will I think we've got too many good players on both sides of the pitch and the best of luck to the Irish players involved as you said Mike we've got a medal coming back to Ireland which is absolutely fantastic and that's that, that's that's even just to say it it's just fantastic to think that you know we're going to have another grand final winner from this these shores and what a fantastic headline that's going to make but listen um, we really do appreciate you uh ringing us and talking to us all the way from Melbourne I know you've had a hectic week I've been following you on Instagram and you've covered some mileage I know how tired you are but you've got a week to hopefully uh, get catch a breath I know you've got a lot of work to do this coming week but hopefully you get to enjoy Brisbane and Melbourne in that grand final and we will talk to you about the aftermath of it and what might be to come in season 8.0 because that's not too far away Mike. but let's not talk about it now but no, listen no, don't, don't talk about that for you. No, look it's, fan, it's fantastic here and um, as I say I'll be up there Anyone that wants to tune in, tune in, follow me on the Instagram, as you've mentioned there, at AFLW underscore Ireland, because I'll be doing the build-up to the game, arriving at the stadium, the crowd's coming in. Hopefully we'll get down to the rooms again for the finals, which will be unreal. So we'll be giving you some behind-the-scenes footage on that and catching up with the Irish players after the game. No matter how the result goes, we'll get around to all of them and watching the games with the families, hopefully, as well. So a huge, huge occasion. Anyone that can get up to watch it live, please do. Or if not, uh, watch it on TG Carr. Uh, the following day, as I'm sure that'll be played in full there. And what a prospect it is. And yeah, I'd be delighted to chat to you after next Sunday at some stage early next week and, and to review what should be and I think will be a, an absolutely fantastic grand final. Brilliant stuff. Mike Rand from everybody here on the Big Red Bench. Enjoy Australia if, as much as you possibly can and we will talk to you soon, buddy. Thanks so much, Jeff. The Big Red Bench. Saturday and Sunday from 6pm. Red FM Formula 1 expert Sarah McKenzie Foley is back on the Big Red Bench to review the final Grand Prix of the season at Abu Dhabi. Sarah and I discuss two-time world champion Max Verstappen's dominant season in the Red Bull. What next for Mercedes? Lewis Hamilton and George Russell. Sebastian Vettel's final emotional farewell to Formula 1. And Ferrari's Charles Leclerc showing his strength in holding off a charging Red Bull Sergio Perez to grab second place in the Grand Prix and in the final World Driver standings. 
Now on the big red bench, the Formula One, the 2022 Formula One season has finally come to an end uh, with Max Verstappen of Red Bull top of the driver standings. And what a season it's been for him. He uh, wrapped up his uh, 15th win in 22 attempts and 17 overall for Red Bull. A hugely commanding performance from Red Bull this season to become uh, constructors and obviously uh, two-time uh, Formula One world racing champion Max Verstappen. Hard to take that away from him. A lot to unpack though uh, from the final uh, Grand Prix this season and who better than a resident Big Red Bench for, uh, Red FM Formula 1 expert Sarah McKenzie Foley to join us here on the Big Red Bench. Sarah you're very welcome back how are you? I'm good thank you yeah I'm kind of bittersweet deciding whether I'm happy that the season is over or uh, whether I need a few more races I think I think we've had enough though for one year. Yeah it's been quite a long season but I, I, I'm like you I think I can hear it in your voice last season was such a nail-biter into the final race, the final bend and everything that went with it between Hamilton and Verstappen this year was just max all the way. I think that's a a fair assessment. 100%. And, you know, we were talking before we recorded, like, you have to give him his his dues on that. Mm -hmm. There's absolutely no doubt that he was the strongest driver. They were the strongest team. They had the best car. They had the best strategy. Um, They were really the whole package, to be honest. Um, You know, anything that sort of dented well most things I would say that dented Red Bull's reputation this year happened off track Mm. Um, you know a couple of notable exceptions I suppose for example um, with Max not giving Checo a hand a couple of races ago I think that that didn't go down very well but you know for the most part I think they've had a fantastic season and um, they're going to have to try and try and do even better next year because I think a lot of teams are going to start to catch up with them given that, you know, teams have figured out like what they need to improve on following the regulation changes at the start of this year. So I think they're going to have a lot more competition next season. Let's hope so, uh, Sarah, mm-hmm. because, you know, we, I, I figured this year we'd still have a title challenge from Mercedes at least to the latter part yeah. of the season. I also had high hopes, like in Egypt, for Ferrari, mm-hmm. but I think they might have undone themselves. We can talk about that in a minute. But you're right. I think the, the the gap has to close if the championship is going to be competitive next year because this is an Adrian Newey designed car. He's the number one designer, mm-hmm. as far as I'm concerned, and probably you as well, when it comes to Formula One. If they make any improvements at all on some of the telemetry and some of the things that they've picked up on this year, and even though it's going to be quite hard from a Red Bull point of view, they're going to be very hard to beat. Absolutely. And I think, you know, they've fully established their their sweet spot, you know, and as I said, whether it's to do with performance strategy, you know, to an extent their driver lineup and preference, I think it is it is really for everyone else to catch up with them like there's no doubt they are the target they are what everyone is aiming to to reach and as you said Adrian Newey absolute legend of the sport um I think it's it's going to be really hard to beat them but we have to hope as you said that somebody will start to come close because I I would say that was kind of one of the downsides this year is that we started off everyone was really close together. Mm-hmm. This was, you know, it was it was really toe-to-toe at the start of the season. And I think you kind of started to see about a third of the way through teams began to like fall off or they made mistakes or they just didn't have the money to mm. keep developing to the extent that they wanted to. And that's when we really saw the huge gaps open. And it, it's never fun for the championship to be won with that many races remaining in the season. You know, you want it to go closer to the wire. So fingers crossed that's what we get next year. Yeah, let's hope so. And it's uh, it's going to be a very interesting drive to survive series oh. on Netflix next year. Now they're going to probably just concentrate on Total Wolf going nuts. I think that'd be yeah. that'd be a good series all by itself. But I think yeah, I think I also believe the off track 
um, shall we call them incidents and things that went on the spat with Sky between Red Bull and Sky a lot of the the question marks about some of the Red Bull changes to the car that were illegal or deemed illegal you know the, the some of the bans or sorry some of the fines that they got which are nonsensical considering their budget I think mm-hmm. they were kind of blown up simply because there was so little to talk about when it came to a title race and that there wasn't really one true challenger I mean if Charles Leclerc and I'm a Ferrari guy if he's the main challenger to Max Verstappen then we definitely need others to step up and there's lots of positives as well we're going to talk about those but I just think just to put a, a line under it from Max Verstappen's point of view he was imperious when he got going he 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 felt looked acted and drove like a world champion this year so I don't have a problem with that but I'd love to have seen him pushed really love to have seen him pushed away he was pushed by Hamilton the previous year and I guess that's what we all want we want excitement and even to the last corner in the previous season um, when it becomes monotonous it's very hard to bring in those non-Formula 1 fans who might get interested in the sport and you know swell the interest in it you lose a lot of people when it's when it's pretty much a procession Absolutely and you know even from my point of view creating content on races mm. you know you start relying on things like granular data or you know things that you know they aren't as exciting they're exciting to me but they're not as exciting to as you said a wider audience that is just trying to see is this sport for me is it interesting is it going to keep me you know enthralled and it's it's also you know we talked a lot about people coming from drive to survive if you were to let's say watch a series of drive to survive and then tune in to a particularly boring race you know there's a huge discrepancy there between your experience as a fan so it is something as, as especially as they continue to add more and more races I think we're gonna have to figure out some sort of situation here where you know the budget cap doesn't even work you know all of these things I think they need to be looked at but as we talked about before the people at the top are mostly concerned with money and they're making plenty of it so we may be maybe uh, banging our heads off the wall for a bit longer, I think. A lot longer. But listen, it's still a sport we love and it's still a sport we love talking about. And the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix, as we said, the final one of the 2022 season went Max Verstappen's way deservedly. He was dominant all weekend. But one of the big storylines that we need to talk about coming out of it is an emotional farewell to an absolute legend. And the word is thrown around far too easy, but in Formula One circles. And I know... Um, how highly you rate him and always have rated him, Sarah. But Sebastian Vettel, a guard of honour, uh, one last battle as well with Sebastian Ocon, uh, just, <laughs> just just for good measure. And as he said himself afterwards, um, when he stepped out of the car, you know, he doesn't know how he feels yet. And it was, we'll talk about his comments actually because I found them very, very interesting. But, you know, can you put into, into terms just what this guy has achieved and what he's given back to Formula One? Sebastian Vettel retiring from Formula One at the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix. It is honestly hard to sum him up. I think he has, it's one of those things where we've seen him literally mature as a human being in front of our eyes and at the same time just go on this incredible journey of, you know, huge accolades at Red Bull. And then, you know, the start of Ferrari was okay and then it went hugely downhill and everyone really felt for him. And then Aston Martin, he kind of, you know, you never, you knew he was never going to reach the same mm. heights as he did at the beginning of his career. But he, it's only in the last kind of season or two that you did feel he started to lose that. I think just the love of not necessarily racing, but I think what was going on around racing and around Formula One and things socially were not moving quickly enough for him. And that's when he, you know, his voice really became much stronger. And as you said, the the comments that he made in his post-race interview yesterday were very socially led. Um, 
And I think it's personally, I find that really important, but he's one of those few voices. And also just the mentorship that he's provided to, to younger drivers over the years is, is incredible. And, you know, Lewis Hamilton, Daniel Ricciardo, there's so many people have spoken really highly of him as a friend. Um, lots, lots of drivers go through their whole career without any friends as fellow uh, drivers. So I think that's, that really stands to him and, you know, he was still nitpicking strategy and like the impact on the constructors' championship right down to the last second. So, I think that really sums him up for me. Yeah, four-time world champion, sixteen years uh, at the very, very apex of Formula One. Fantastic driver, cold-blooded as he have to be mm. to be a world champion like him. And as you said, you made a very good point there, the way he developed as a human being, I think, away from the track in his time, uh, you know, in the cockpit and driving around those tracks all those years. Uh, it's clearly apparent now when you see the the, rever- the love and the reverence that people have for him, because it's rare when people step away, step away from Formula One like that. There's that many people still, you know, you don't necessarily become friends with a fellow Formula One driver. You're all against each other, mm. even your teammates. But something he said, though, caught my attention he said I'm sure I'm going to miss this more than I can think of and he said I don't have much more to say I feel empty now when somebody's finished like Daniel Ricciardo to me is because he just was fed up but he was fed up with the whole thing just like a bit like mm. Sebastian Vettel in this instance I just wonder if somebody waved uh, you know a Mercedes test drive or a, you know a Red Bull test a test seat in front of him I think he'd be back I think he I think he would I think he's somebody that will miss it more than he realizes and he kind of alluded to it if you're building up to something and you're sure of it like retirement you know it happens and you get on with it he just doesn't sound so sure of himself and I'm just wondering maybe I'm hoping that you know if the proper you know, I don't know if a seat will come along, but certainly a test driving op- opportunity and something get involved again I think that might be something that might entice him back I, I agree in the sense that I don't think we'll see him, you know, as a full-time driver in a team again. I think he is perhaps done with kind of that element of it. He, I think he just has so much else that he wants to do. And I think that, you know, spending time with family is at the top of that list. Continuing to be a social activist is at the top of that list. And I think it's it's a probably reached a point for him where he's thinking, okay, I have to try these things and then maybe, yes, I will decide I love this so much and I have to go back in some capacity and maybe I won't. But until you take that leap, you never, you know, you'll never know. And we've seen it before. Kimi Räikkönen came back. Michael Schumacher came back. Fernando Alonso came back. These are all great names. They didn't necessarily reach the heights that they had before, but they just, you know, it was the passion for driving, the passion for racing that brought them back. And it could happen with Seb. I, I'm a bit more, I'm a, I'm a bit more sceptical that he will come back, I think, but it, it could, potentially. We live in hope, let's hope so, because he's been, as we said, a four-time world champion, 16 years at the top in Formula 1. Fantastic career for Sebastian Vettel. One other talking point from Abu Dhabi um, was the fact that Sergio Perez missed out on uh, the uh, P2 in the World Drivers' Championship by a single point. Now, Charles Leclerc edged him for with Ferrari, but... Uh, you, you've made the point that you know had Sebastian Vettel, or sorry, yeah, Sebastian Vettel, uh, not Sebastian Vettel, <laughs> had Verstappen been a bit more of a teammate in previous races, Perez would have grabbed second spot. Now, so what, says you? But 
Red Bull have never had a one two, and they missed out on an opportunity to do this. And with a bit more, you know, a bit more cop on and a small bit more common sense. I don't know if he has too much of it away from the track um, when it comes to Verstappen. But, you know, if you're Perez, you've got to be sick as a dog. Because, look, if you're going to miss out in second place, miss out by 10, 20 points. But by a single point, and considering, as you've already alluded to here in the podcast on the big red bench, he chose not to help, uh, Verstappen chose not to help his teammate at a critical time in the, in the, in the championship that ultimately cost him. Yeah, and when you look at the performance of Leclerc versus Perez across the season, you would think, how on earth has Leclerc pipped him? You know, even if it's by a point or by 50 points, I think it's just incredible, really, when you look at the ups and downs that Ferrari have had versus the car that Perez had under him. But it, he's never been the most important person in that car. The car has always been a pawn. And I think that will remain the case and I agree I think Red Bull did make a bit of an error in not taking advantage of that one too but they were so hell-bent and sort of so tunnel vision with Max that I think they just it wasn't really in my mind a huge consideration for them you know the championship win is more important than anything else for them and I I don't think it's going to change you know I, I think Checo could lay down in the middle of the track for Max and I don't think you know I don't think any sacrifices is enough at this point and you know fantastic for Leclerc I, I hope he uses this as a real kind of a motivator to to push through his frustrations that he's had with Ferrari this year many of them not even caused by him in the first place and to really kind of push them as a team as well to get the the best out of the car for him for next year because I do personally think he has the talent I think he just needs he needs the full package behind him and he just hasn't had it um, as many Ferrari drivers in the last god god knows how many years at this point Um, too many you know yeah and have not had it and I just think he he's he has the talent and I think we need we need a bit more behind him because himself you know Perez George Russell they all have it and it's just they need that that just that missing piece to to take Max on properly yeah I agree and um you know you you talk about great Ferrari drivers I mean Eddie Irvine took the seat from Schumacher when he got injured and I remember people were giving out that he shouldn't have been given it and look what he did with the right Eddie Irvine was a very very accomplished Formula 1 driver but not by far and away by his own admission not the greatest anywhere near Mm -hmm. the greatest but he won multiple uh, races and kept Ferrari in the run and I, I'm thinking of Jean Alessi I'm thinking of Gerhard Berger had, back in there at their at their absolute pomp had they much had they any kind of a car improved car yeah. they could have they could have challenged if not won a Formula 1 championship and I do agree with you on Charles Leclerc but I just don't think he's going to get that with Ferrari because it, but look does, that, that that's another day to talk about the ins and outs of Ferrari season Jesus a podcast and that and the tone <laughs> before we just finish up um, I want to talk about your own favourite, uh, Lewis Hamilton, like obviously retiring with three laps to go, didn't get that record, uh, the personal record of winning a race every season. Um, he's been in Formula 1, which is astonishing, the fact that he's won every race every year, bar one. It's still an astonishing record. But your assessment of, I mean, at the after Abu Dhabi, he was very open about the fact that he didn't have the car he wanted at the start of the season and he didn't have the car that he wanted at the end of the season. <laughs> and Toto Wolff replied by saying that they're going to put the two cars on show in both their European and British headquarters to remind everyone working there that this is what we've we've got to improve on this heading into. So they're really determined to get back to the top. And I think that's a good thing for our own for Mercedes. But from your own point of view, Hamilton's season overall, was it really that much affected by the machinery? Was he was he 100% committed? And then you got George Russell, somebody we haven't even spoken about, Mr. Consistency. What a year he had in winning his first Grand Prix as well. A good, a bad or an ugly season for Mercedes overall? 
Oh, it's been all of them, honestly, sometimes all at the same time. It's been confusing. It's been frustrating. Uh, You know, when George got that win, it was euphoric. There's been everything, really. And I think that that's what we've seen from Lewis, where George has been Mr. Consistent. Lewis has, he's really been on an emotional journey and you've like seen it. He didn't hide a single, a single reaction. You know, everything was out in the open. And I think, I was gutted for him, you know, as you said, an astonishing record, really incredible 15 years with, you know, at least one win every year. And I just, I did feel for him. I think the retiring with three laps left, it just sort of summed it all up for me, really. Um, it was just kind of a sad end. And, you know, I, I joked on Twitter that he would just want to put the current bin, but obviously Total Wolf has other plans for it. And I think that's the right approach. I think, I do believe they will be dangerous next season from what they have said about what they've learned this year, not only about their own car and why it wasn't successful, but why other cars were. And, you know, they have the best people in the world working on these cars. And I have no doubt that they'll be, both drivers will be back stronger next year. And let's hope so, because we could do with it. We could certainly do with a challenge to world champion, two-time world champion, Max Verstappen in the Red Bull, finishing top of the 2022 driver standings, followed by Charles Leclerc in the Ferrari, as we said, just ahead of Sergio Perez in the other Red Bull. George Russell coming in fourth from Mercedes. Fantastic result for him. And then Carlos Sainz Jr. in the other Ferrari, finishing fifth. And Lewis Hamilton, sixth. Lando Norris in the McLaren in seventh. Uh, Ocon in the Alpine in eighth. Alonso in the Alpine in nine. And Bottas in the Alfa Romeo in ten, running off the top ten drivers in the Constructors' Championships. What a shock, a surprise. Uh, Red Bull topping it with 759 points from their 17 wins out of 22 Grand Prix. Uh, Ferrari uh, coming in a respectable second, just ahead of Mercedes. Uh, and after that, Alpine pipping McLaren uh, for fourth place and fifth in the standings. It is the end of a very, very long season. We're very thankful and grateful for all your expertise, uh, Sarah. But the uh, the podcast and uh, what we need to talk about when it comes to Formula One has not ended. We'll have a few more chats between here and the end of the year, I'm delighted to say, including a full season review. That's coming up quite shortly, so keep an ear out for that listeners but why, before we sign off uh, where can uh, our listeners and everybody on Big Red Bench and beyond find Sarah McKenzie Foley on social media yeah so I'm finally making a return to YouTube uh, this week after a bit of a break uh, for weddings and things like that so you can find me Sarah McKenzie F1 if you search on YouTube you'll find me there I'm MacTweets underscore on Twitter and MacGram underscore on Instagram Excellent stuff. Great. Uh, a good review once again of the final Abu Dhabi Grand Prix here on the Big Red Bench with a resident Formula One expert, Sarah McKenzie Foley. We will talk to you again quite soon. Uh, but for now, thanks for your time. Thanks, sir. Miss the show? Grab the Big Red Bench podcast at redfm.ie. Munster Women's Rugby Chairperson Wendy Keenan is back on the Big Red Bench to review another hectic week of women's rugby. We have news on the Munster Open Cup, an update on the current Munster Women's Conference standings, a Munster Schools update, including upcoming under-14 development days, last week's X-11s in Rockwell, a new Front 5 workshops initiative, news of the under-17 and under-18 Munster Women's development, and we also hear that the Munster Senior Squad is back in training ahead of the Interpros and Celtic Cup. And finally, we review two superb women's AIL wins for Ballancolic, and UL Bohemians. Delighted to be joined on the line now here on the Big Red Bench by the Munster Women's Rugby uh, Chairperson, Wendy Keenan, who's back to give us a, uh, an update on what's been happening throughout the uh, province and the Munster Women's Rugby scene. Wendy, you're very welcome back to the Big Red Bench. How are you? I'm great, sir. Thanks a million. Good to talk to you again. Uh, most sports, I would say, Wendy, at this time of the year, are slightly slowing down. The GA season is coming to an end, uh, or at least the provincial season is starting to kick in, and other sports, but... It, 
correct me if I'm wrong, there's so much happening in the Munster women's rugby scene, it seems as busy as it was in the opening weeks of the season. Yeah, we have a very busy couple of weeks ahead, Ger. Um, lots of competitions, cup competitions, school entries. So I suppose, look, we did start our season a little bit later to, um, I suppose, to work alongside the GA matches, really. And um, so we're going to be busy right into the run of the Christmas. And, you know, we're going to slide right into Christmas, I think, with all this rain that we're, that we're having at the moment, because that's the way the pitches are, are, are faring out. No better sport for it, though, in fairness. And that's great. It's going to be a busy right up until Christmas. Plenty to talk about. And we start this week uh, with a roundup of the Munster Open Cup. Yeah, so we had a, a win for Skibreen. Um, you'll be delighted to hear, no doubt. <laughs> so Skibreen defeated Perlis eight tries to five. So what a cracker of a match with all those tries being scored. So there was a final score of 48 uh, to 27 for, for Skibreen at the weekend. And they'll face the winners of Kerry and UL Bowes seconds in the final of the Munster Open Cup. We're coming up to the final season of that. So the 14th of December is the date set for the final. Musgrave Park at 2pm. So we're delighted to have it you know what I mean, in the pitch there. So, um, look, we'll all look forward to, to seeing the results between Kerry and UL Bowles. UL Bowles seconds are having a very strong season this year and um, either or, it's going to be a great final. Excellent stuff. and No better place to have that final. December the 14th won't be long coming around either. Um, let's get an update on the standings in the Munster Women's Conferences. Yeah, so I, as we know, we have the three conferences this year. So in Conference A, UL Bowes seconds are undefeated to date um, in that, with Kerry coming in second um, t- trying to chase them. In Conference B, we have Thurlis lead in Conference B with Waterpark in second place. And in Conference C, I'm delighted we have Dolphin, who are also undefeated and are followed by Bantry. But Bantry have a game in hand um, in that conference. It's lovely to see Dolphin coming through, you know, a tough year last year with them, you know what I mean, their first time coming in really in the adult game and here they are undefeated so far and the other I suppose nugget of motivation in all of this is that two of the teams will be nominated to participate in the IRFU Junior Cup competition this year a new competition and they'll play against the top two teams in the other provinces so I suppose they're they're all working hard to to score the tries and get into those two slots um, to be nominated yeah, and that's an excellent initiative to give teams impetus going into the final few weeks, as we said, uh, of the season or even at this particular time of the season. And uh, is this a first for this type of competition? Yes, it was. It was there in, in a slightly different format. It's just been changed. And I, I, I expect that this will be the format for perhaps promotion or relegation and um, playoffs in relation to the women's AIL. We know after this year, there'll be no promotion or relegation this season, but the following season there is. So they'll have to have a format in relation to... Um, you know, creating that promotion pathway. So um, two of those teams will be nominated to participate in the IRFU um, Junior Cup competition to play against the top two teams in the other provinces. And that's really important because it will give them a snapshot of where they are in terms of their standard in relation to the other provinces. And as we know, there'll be promotion and relegation next year with the um, women's AIL. So this could very well be part of that competition. Um, so it, it's a really important one, um, I suppose, to see where we're at and Munster as well against the other province in terms of our skill set with our clubs Excellent stuff lots to look forward to there so hopefully not just for the Munster teams but maybe in the national junior competitions as well to come away from the adult setup there's been just as much action on the Munster schools uh, scene Wendy and uh, in particular a lot of under 14 development days that are coming up 
Yeah, so th- this week we've had a lot of um, under-14 development days that have been held in Bandon Grammar, Newport RFC, Thomond Community College and Feathered RFC. So we're spreading them around the province to teach at the section. And the emphasis here is on participation, skill development, introduction to rugby. So I suppose it's just to give the girls, you know what I mean, a carrot of what rugby is all about and what it's like to participate in it and um, to hopefully give them a taste that they would like to continue playing. So really important there that we start, you know what I mean, in the in the first classes, um, which are the under 14. Yeah, excellent stuff and something that you've been working hard on for a while now and hopefully that will come to fruition. Um, last week, there Rockwell hosted a very uh, interesting competition, an 11-side rugby uh, comp. Yeah, so um, that was our ex-11s, as we call it. You know I mean, the 11-a-side competition. And thanks to Rockwell for hosting that. Such a great venue. There's so many pitches. And we had uh, both senior sections and junior sections participating. And I'm just going to list some of the schools that took part so that you see where it's coming from around the province. So we have Thomond, Cashel, Bantry, Villiers-Limerick, Mallow, Rockwell, Hospital, Nina, Barsley, Ardsculver, Limerick and Bandon in our junior competition. Okay, so I mean, this is really important. We're coming near the deadline now for our entry to our junior and senior cup and we're expecting more teams um, this year, which will be absolutely fantastic. So look, we're really looking forward to the evening of the 1st of December. We will see who's going to be playing in our junior and senior cup this year. Excellent. Lot, lots to look forward to there. And fantastic to hear so many different areas of the province getting involved in the X11s. It looks like it's uh, going to be a real success story for you. And let's hope uh, that continues on. Talk to me now, Wendy Keenan, here on the Big Red Bench. What is the front five workshops that are taking place? Okay, so I suppose, you know, when people get into to coaching, they might have an ex- mightn't have an expertise in the, the front five positions, one to five. And what we came up with last year was a pilot project and it was to give expertise coaching in this area, I suppose, to coaches that mightn't have played rugby in those positions. So it was very successful last year. So based on the success of last year's pilot, we have started and launched this programme and it'll go to each of the corners of the province again. Now, we tend to divide the province north, south, east, away and west. So it started last week in Kerry. And then um, we have workshops now in uh, Dolphin and Cork and Limerick, actually this evening. And look, I'm delighted to say that the, the calibre of coaches that have got involved, we've ex-internationals giving up their time to help with this coaching programme. We've ex-internationals, including Fee Hayes, John Hayes, Marcus Horan, um, Tony Buckley, um, and, and a few others. But it, it, it's really important. Often it's hard to commit to coach a team for a full season you mightn't have the time but what we're doing is bringing in coaches that might have four weeks or they might be able to do even three weeks and they can give their expertise to their local clubs in their surrounding areas and go in for the couple of weeks and work with the players and work with the coaches in um, giving sharing their expertise I suppose in, in those areas those key positions we're running it alongside our uh, development training programs so they're also experiencing live coaching of what they're learning as part of these coaching sessions. That's a really good idea, getting that, that kind of calibre of person involved. And obviously, as you said, you know, not able to commit to a full season, but able to commit to, you know, sections of a season. That helps with, uh, with, with players' development, also helps with coaches' development. So a really positive initiative there and sounds yeah. like something that's going to go well. You mentioned women's development and as part of that, the under-17, under-18 Munster women's development is also in full swing at the minute. 
Yeah, they're back up and running now. This week, our under-17 and under-18 pre-Christmas development programmes. And we had the ones in September um, that ran for a period of time. So they're back up and running north, south, east and west now. It's expanded a little bit further that we were able to include more girls um, in this development programme um, prior to Christmas. Um, so more girls getting um, excellent coaching, which is what it's all about. It certainly is and good luck to all of the players involved in that. A lot of action to come as well um, and that development pathway very, very important for future Munster players and even more important hopefully that one day they will reach the Munster Senior Squad and the current Munster Senior Squad, Wendy, are back in training because it's coming up to inter-provincial time. Yeah, they're back in training. So that expanded squad now are working hard. Um, they're in training now this week as it's a rest weekend for the women's AIL. Um, this weekend after finishing the league and Neil Briggs has them all back in training. And they'll meet in the High Performance Centre in UL on Saturday for a trial match. Um, which will be very interesting because a lot of young talent coming through now from our last under 18 into pros into the senior squad and I'm sure they'll give some of those experienced players you know a run for their money um, so it'll be an exciting match to, to watch but um, really important and they go into a lot of training there in December so they'll hit the ground running for the into pros starting January so that came forward a little bit in terms of to accommodate the Celtic Cup so we're really looking forward to that now in January yeah, lots of really good interprovincial stuff to look forward to, including the Celtic Cup, as you said as well. Um, so for the senior team, this really is the start now and really, really important period for them heading into that um, equally important interprovincial series and Celtic Cup, which we'll be covering here on the Big Red Bench. We finish with positive news for our two women's AIL uh, clubs, Balancolic and UL Bowes. Yes, UL Bowes and Ballancolic both finished with wins in their last match um, of the league. So UL Bowes finished in fourth position, which is really important. They had a narrow defeat um, over Gaul Regions there um, at the weekend, coming out 13-7 on top. And they'll go into the, those playoffs um, positions. And Ballancolic finished in eighth. They will be disappointed. There's no point in, in saying otherwise. But it was important that they finished with the win. And they did that over Cook at the weekend, um, defeating them 15-3. So... Um, all will have playoff positions but I suppose the important one now is for UL Bowes trying to move up um, into the first or second slot there it'll be a difficult task as we said they have a lot of young players they're betting in this year but great experience for those young girls that are also featuring in that Munster senior squad because they will now be playing against those Irish players and we'll give them a taste of what it's going to be like for the Interpros so nice to finish out on a high last weekend Certainly was an exciting times ahead for all those players. Well done, Balancolic and UL Bowes. Uh, not an e- never easy to win a women's AIL game at the best of times and to do it and get that positive bounce. Hopefully for whoever their playoff opponents are, a very positive end to their domestic regular league campaign. Once again, it's been very he- it's been hectic. <laughs> even though it's coming up to Christmas, it's going to be even more hectic. But we'll have uh, Munster Women's Rugby Chairperson Wendy Keenan here on the Big Red Bench to review everything with us in the coming weeks. But for now, thank you very, very much, Wendy, for your time. Thank you very much, Jer. The Big Red Bench. Saturday and Sunday from 6pm. Monster Hockey PRO Graham Catchboat is back on the Big Red Bench with all the latest Monster Women's Hockey news, including results from last weekend's Women's EY2 and Mon- Women's Monster Division 1, including big wins for Cork Harlequins away to Ballymoney, um, a narrow win for Bandon over Ashton and a 3-2 victory for UCC over Church of Ireland. We also look ahead to this weekend's 
big fixtures in Munster Division 1, including a cracking game between Church of Ireland and Ashton. Now, joining me on the line here on the Big Red Bench is the Munster Women's Hockey PRO Graham Catchball to review a very important weekend once again for Munster clubs in both the EY2 and the Munster Division 1. Graham, you're very welcome back to the bench. How are things? All good now, Jared. Thanks for having me again. Yeah, I've, uh, it's a busy time of the year for a lot of sports, but specifically for hockey and for women's hockey, uh, Graham. Uh, one of the things that people probably don't realise, AstroTurf. Uh, there's not enough AstroTurf pitches in the Cork or Munster area as it is to meet the growing demand. But it's one of the big and important and positives about your particular sport in that you can plan ahead as much as you possibly can and get a lot of games played despite the poor weather conditions. And that was the case this past weekend as well. Yeah, absolutely. The, the the rain in general won't won't stop hockey matches going ahead. Um, the only thing that would stop a, a match going ahead, I suppose, is, is if the pitch was frozen. Um, so we might be coming into that period soon, but but hopefully, uh, hopefully that's not the case. The temperatures haven't dropped that low just yet. Um, but uh, but definitely plenty of action between now and Christmas, and uh, a short break for Christmas, and we'll be we'll be back into it again in January early. Yeah, absolutely. And you're right, there are quite a lot of games coming up um, in over the festive period. And let's start a review with last weekend's women's EY2 division and a great win for Cork Harlequins away to Ballymoney. Yeah, a fantastic win for, for Cork Harlequins, making the making the trip all the way up to, to, to County Antrim to, to take on Ballymoney. And um, I suppose Harlequins probably went into that game as, as underdogs, um, but to, they they came away with a two one victory, um, and and it really puts them kind of back in the mix in um, EY two pool B. Um, so it puts them level on points with with Bally Money now. Now, granted, there's only two games played, but but certainly, uh, you know, to to win two one away from home is, is is a huge result for them. Um, and it's it, it's either I suppose a continuation of the the good form of Beth Ann O'Farrell and um, and Michelle Barry, who are both on the score sheet again. Yes, indeed. And as you said, Cork Harlequins, even though there's only two games gone, being in the mix in that women's EY2 Pool B standings with Corinthian, Ballymoney and themselves now, Queen's University and Galway, the other two teams in that particular group, they've only played once so far, but um, an important win on the road, as you said, and the distance that they had to travel. Great stuff from Cork Harlequins to win that, uh, to come away with a 2-1 win and keep themselves in with a chance of topping that particular group. Now let's turn our attention to the Women's Monster Division 1, where it was a busy weekend, but three games in particular uh, that we want to talk about. Bandon and Ashton meeting in an all-Cork clash, and then Church of Ireland taking on UCC in a goal fest, uh, as well as Black Rock and Waterford clashing. Three big games and three very important results for all those clubs. Graham. Yeah, I suppose maybe let let's start with the the Church of Ireland and, and UCC match, which I suppose you know both sides last year were were one and two in the table, so a very very close affair. Um, UCC coming out three two winners in the end, um, so um, it was a very very close game, I suppose, right up to the end with with Church of Ireland scoring in the in 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 the dying I suppose moments of the the fourth quarter, making for a bit of a fr- frenetic finish to the to the match. Um, the goals coming from Emma Sullivan got two, and Abby O'Mahony got one against her her old club for UCC, and uh, for for CFI then Isabel Martin and Nicola Kerr with the goals. 
Yeah, and uh, those results, I mean, when we look at the top of the table at the moment in women's Munster, Munster Division 1, Graham, UCC uh, unbeaten 5 out of 5, um, thanks to that 3-2 win over Church of Ireland, and also Ashton and Bandon's result. Ashton's still lying in third place, but it moves Bandon within shooting distance. Now, they're only four points off the top, even though they have played a couple of extra matches, but it's getting very crowded at the top. But that UCC Church of Ireland result, and also the Black Rock defeat, disappointment for them, because a win there would have kept them in touch. Yeah, it, it's getting very, very close, particularly at the top. And maybe there's a bit of a gap uh, opening up, probably between um, Bandon and fifth, and, and Waterford and sixth. Um, but but certainly that win for Bandon at the at the weekend over Ashton, probably against the odds, um, uh, you know, a, a great win for, for for Bandon. It really keeps them in touch with the, with the top four now, um, and it, it really, I suppose, makes the makes it very, very interesting this weekend um, with with a couple of you know crucial games happening. Particularly, I would I, I would say the, the the Ashton versus Church of Ireland game is going to be another real humdinger, and, and and I suppose the winner of that game, you know, they they really I suppose put themselves in with a shout of of tracking down uh, UCC and Harlequins. Yes, and that's because Ashton and Church of Ireland going into that game have identical records with six games played, four wins and two losses, each on 12 points. It's a very, very difficult one to call, Graham, uh, when you consider how well both teams played this past weekend but came out on the losing side. That only adds to the pressure of it going in, yeah? Yeah, no, absolutely. And and, and both sides met earlier this season as well and um, Ashton came out you know, with, a, with, a, with, a, with a victory, I suppose. Steve I would be up for, uh, I suppose, a small bit of revenge, but also both teams would be very conscious that, you know, even a draw in this game would actually be a good result, I think. Indeed it would. We spoke as well there about Bandon, who came out on top against Ashton in their previous game, 2-1. They're taking on bottom-placed Belvedere uh, in the Munster Division 1 this weekend, and that's a key game again, because if Bandon come out on top there, theoretically, let's not say they will or they won't, now let's give Belvedere a fighting chance, but if Bandon were to win that, that would give them 14 points. Now, they have a lot of extra games played compared to the front runners, but again, you need to be up there at the top, putting pressure on them, and a win here, a second win on the trot, Graham, it's not beyond the realms of possibility for an informed Bandon. No, not at all, and, and I suppose points in the board are what counts at the end of the day. So uh, certainly, Bandon will will fancy themselves against um, Belvedere, who 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 kind of struggled a small bit early season, but have um, have you know I suppose tightened the gap, I suppose on um, on on the likes of uh, Black Rock and Waterford certainly. So uh, Belvedere would be quite a young side this season, um, and and um, seem to be seem to be tracking the right direction. So. You know, you you would give them a fighting chance against um, even even a strong band inside at the moment. Yeah, that's going to be another interesting game. And just to wrap up, um, the, looking ahead to those matches coming up this weekend, uh, as we said, Cork Harlequins lying three points behind UCC, who are top of the table, unbeaten, five out of five so far, and a goal difference as well, very impressive, of plus 19. But Harlequins are taking on Waterford. Now, Waterford are coming off, as we said, that big win over Black Rock. Uh, Katie Leslie scoring twice in that particular game. Now, again, Harlequins will enter this as favourites, Graham, but they can't afford any slip-ups because a win here would make them put them joint top of the standings in the women's Munster uh, Division 1 uh, table. But anything less than that might harm their chances of, of, of chasing down UCC. Absolutely, and I suppose it's an opportunity with UCC not playing this weekend for for Harlequins to put that little bit of pressure on them, um, and they they will be facing um, UCC in the not too distant future as well. So, you know that it it'll make for a real six pointer if, if, if I suppose Harlequins can really you know keep the pressure on by by overcoming Waterford. Uh, Waterford themselves have been going pretty well this year and have, have taken points off off the likes of Bandon, you know Black Rock and Belvedere. So. 
Um, they they have been tracking very very well this year, so they won't be a they won't be a pushover by any means. They certainly will not. Very interesting at the top of the women's Munster Hockey Division 1 table, as we said, UCC going into the weekend, even though the weekend off, top of the table, three points clear of the chasing pack, Cork Harlequins and Ashton with an opportunity to close the gap there on 12 points, Church of Ireland are on 12 points, and that Church of Ireland and Ashton game, I have a feeling, Graham, we'll be talking about that next week on the big red bench, uh, such, a, such an important game for all of the players involved there. Before I let you go, it is a quiet time on the Interpros scene, and I don't know if there's anything, anything Interpros coming up next weekend but in the in, in the near future and into the new year the Interpros as well very very important at underage level for Munster and for the future of Munster women's hockey and men's as well um, how busy a time is it over Christmas or do we see more action come the new year? Yeah there, there will be more action before the end of the year so I think the, the Munster under 21s will be playing next weekend now they, they've had a tough run of, of, of results um, so far um, the under-18s and the under-16s are probably in a better position and it's, it's a couple of weeks before they play again. But certainly, all the squads will be, I suppose, training hard in, in, in the next couple of weekends in particular um, with, with games coming up. So um, it, it doesn't it doesn't stop, it doesn't pause. You know, those players, while they're playing maybe for their clubs, they're also uh, fitting in training sessions as well for their province. So um, it's a busy, busy time for, for anybody, I suppose, playing at, at a high level in, in, in hockey and Munster. Indeed it is and it's a very busy time both at EY1, EY2 and Munster Women's Division 1 level. We'll keep tabs on it with Graham Catchpole, the PRO of the Munster Women's Hockey uh, here on the Big Red Bench throughout the coming weeks uh, into Christmas and in the New Year and beyond. Once again though, great to talk to you Graham, and thanks for that update. Thanks Millinger. That's it for another Big Red Bench Women in Sport podcast. Remember to subscribe to the Big Red Bench on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. You can also listen online at redextra.ie. Don't forget to tune in to the Big Red Bench with Rory O'Hagan, Colm O'Sullivan and Valerie Wheeler between 6 and 7pm on the radio every Saturday and Sunday. Follow the Big Red Bench across all our social media channels as well as visiting our official website redfm.ie. The Big Red Bench, Saturday and Sunday from 6pm, Cork's Red FM.